won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency. And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 104 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and it was recorded on Friday, January 22nd, and made available for download Tuesday, January 26th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Lennon. And I'm Jeff. Well, what have we got this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, for the first time in 104 episodes, we discuss Lagrange points. On the flight deck, we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we cover the latest news from Star Citizen, more information of crafting an Elite Dangerous, and the latest patch pushed to the Proving Grounds in Descent Underground. And I gather Tony and Lennon's thoughts on what truly makes a space sim. This week, we strap Shiv and Elliot into the sim pod and review Strike Suit Zero. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. And well, that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Hey, you boys, need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Cryptor, 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 this is Tony saying welcome to the squawk box, everyone. Regular listeners of the show will know that Lagrange Point 4 is a good place to do a nav check when you're out in the deep black. If you end up with a mechanical failure later, it's a nice, convenient marker out in space where somebody might have a prayer of finding you. Yes, it's an actual thing in real science, not a technobabbly thing we made up to sound cool in our intro. And yet, we've never had a decent excuse to talk about Lagrange points on the show. Until today. The European Space Agency was pleased to announce earlier today that the LISA, or Laser Interferometer Space Antenna Pathfinder mission, successfully entered orbit around Lagrange Point 1. Its mission is to measure and catalog background gravitational disturbances in preparation for later missions that hope to detect gravitational waves, which by the way, are the only Einsteinian predictions that have not been observationally verified. It ain't over yet, Albert. Anyway, uh, what one needs to find if one is trying to measure background noise in preparation for locating relativistic whispers is a very, very quiet corner of the solar system, gravitationally speaking. And that's what a Lagrange point is, or are, actually. Every three-body orbital system has five of them. The two larger bodies create five gravitational spots where their combined forces drag a point in space along with them as they orbit each other. An object at that exact point can hitch a free orbital ride, coasting in near-perfect freefall. That object is not orbiting either of the larger bodies, the, the Earth or the Sun in our example, but rather taking advantage of the gravitational energy of the two objects to maintain its relative position between the two. If I could borrow a surfing metaphor, it's like catching an infinite wave, brah. Cowabunga. So as Lisa joins two other spacecraft orbiting Lagrange Point 1, it'll be testing a super-sensitive set of thrusters designed to keep it there. Lagrange Points 1 through 3 are not entirely stable. Not entirely stable. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Yes, you're welcome. What this means is that any object taking a free ride there is likely to wipe out sooner rather than later unless it makes adjustments to its position relative to the Lagrange point. That helps it keep up with that point as it's pulled along. On the other hand, Lagrange points 4 and 5 are stable, meaning that when you have large celestial bodies like Jupiter, multitudes of objects can collect there and remain there. 
Astronomers have identified about 6,000 of them, and they estimate that they are as numerous as the objects traditionally considered our solar system's asteroid belt. That's right. The asteroids at Jupiter's stable points are large enough to be cataloged and named, with the L4 objects being named after the Greek characters from Homer's Iliad and the L5s after the Trojan side. For example, 4057 Demophon or 3240 Laocoon. See, guys, it's not hard to come up with cool names for space things. What's wrong with Lisa P.? <laughs> I'm thinking Nimrod. I mean, we have to call things Nimrod because they give people just 4287 G22. I mean, come on. The Iliad's got like 80 billion characters in it. Just pick those. Well, look at our own moon. It's in the Lagrange point. Well, kind of technically it is. Well, no, it it creates Lagrange points, too. There are Earth-Moon Lagrange points, too. They're just harder to get around. Right, but the moon the moon is considered a larger a larger celestial object, but it in itself is sitting at a at a gravitational Free ride. I didn't read that Wikipedia article. I'm not. I'm not qualified to discuss that <laughs> with you tonight. <laughs> but I read a number of other Wikipedia articles that make me a total expert on all Lagrange point physics now. And I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I was talking to one of our listeners earlier about witch space and and where it came from and and uh, you know how elites brought back some of the old terms. Witch space in science fiction. It was a lot of science fiction, uh, like uh, I was saying, uh, Babylon 5, Dune, BSG. All, all of them called that area of faster and light travel when you go into hyperspace, have always referred to it as witch space. And, and uh, I felt like a Wikipedia there for a moment <laughs> when I was telling them. Well, uh, about, a, about a completely you know, fake thing. But see, this is real, and we've been using it in our intro uh, since day one. What's, what's cool about this, I thought, is that this is something that I haven't seen in other games or, or other sort of concepts of, of solar system geography, is that, yeah, there's asteroid belts, but these are also pockets of mineable, stable things, which you could have be resource points or pirate hideouts or, you know, other, ty- other groupings, other destinations within a solar system, which would maintain a relative position to other planets, it would maintain a relative position from a star, so it becomes something, a useful geographical reference in a game environment. So I thought, we ought to bring this out to everybody and let people know, hey, you can have asteroid belts, you can have moons, and you can have Lagrange point objects, or what they're commonly called, Trojans. Well, here's an interesting little bit of trivia. In 2001 Space Odyssey, the space station was actually at L4, Earth L4. Yeah, see? Lagrange point four exactly it's a useful navigational marker and there's actually i didn't get into it because we've got a show to do damn it and i don't want to go too much into the weeds but there actually there's actually plans or you know concepts on the board right now for that deep space transportation system we kind of talked about in one episode a while back where you'd have stations like at those lagrange points then you have transfer orbits that use those lagrange points as, as way stations for just a permanent sort of conveyor belt almost transportation system where you just catch a, a spaceship in these long-range transfer orbits that just continuously go back and forth between those uh, stable points between planetary orbits. So it's almost like a railroad in space. So it's a real thing, and hopefully we'll be able to use them sometime, and, and it'd be cool to see them in space sim games sooner rather than later uh, as you know geographical points of interest. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening in the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. One seven five Port Bay, hands on approach. Checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. 
Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for January 22nd, 2016, 106392000 up about 700000 1.176 million registered accounts, up about 9,000, and 899,000 ships in the UEE fleet, which is up about 7,000. Is it just me, or as these numbers get bigger, they obviously shift week on week, but it doesn't sound as impressive anymore, does it, going from like 105 million to 106 million? It's like, is it losing the magic? Am I just being jaded? No, 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 it's, it's an order of magnitude thing, right? Yeah. When it was just tens of millions, you know, up going up, million dollars is like, oh man, that's like one past the leading digit now. Now we're two past the leading digit, and we're like, hmm. And speaking of Star Citizen, that slow week we've been anticipating has finally hit. CIG didn't have any universe-shattering announcements to bring us. Although release 2.1.1 is now live in the PTU, there is no significant gameplay or asset changes there, just balancing tweaks and bug fixes. Most of the CIG leadership is in LA this week for Development Summit focused on mapping out goals and directions for 2016. The immediate impact for us will probably be some of the more infrequent guests appearing on ATV or RTV over the next couple of episodes, as Lando ropes in as many interviews as he can manage. Apart from that, it's mostly niche material. Ten for the devs focus mostly on characters and clothing design, and ATV had segments around game server management and sound design. Although the MVP mentioned a fan's app development that allows a certain amount of ship's asset management to occur from phone or tablet. Also, for those of you with interest, there was an art sneak peek at Starfarer with pretty textures and everything. And yes, Kin Shadow got mentioned. Yeah. Kin Shadow. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Friend yeah. of the show. Yep. This is kind of good, right? I mean, we're back to the sort of, you know, here we are making a game stage of, of, of things. It's yeah, I, I, it's kind of, it's Paste. actually kind of nice to have it be quiet. Steady news stream is, means great things. Yeah, it is progressing quietly, but it, I get the sense that unlike before where they were like quiet as in there was no news coming out, there's at least the slow drip, there's the trickle, there's enough coming through that you actually feel like things are moving forward, things are being accomplished, but they're at the same time not overloading you with information. And another thing that I very recently found out, which wasn't picked up in here is that the Carrack is apparently also another one that they've done most of the uh, texturing and, and modeling for and that's very much on its way in to being one of the next ships that we're going to get in game so even when they're not publicly posting it you're hearing all these other little bits of news from around the forums various websites you know there's plenty of stuff about all the latest goings on on reddit as well so yeah it, it's it's a weird kind of it's a nice like calm feeling you know i think they've sort of finally found a flow that works for them by putting out regular updates to the ptu regardless of features which is what chris said once was yeah. going to be one of the goals of this year wasn't it was to push out regular releases not yes. uh, feature marker releases and yeah. i think it's actually working really well for them yes it's not the nightly builds you were asking for last year lennon but it stops it from being an event driven schedule for splash and fun and excitement and, and, and headlines and starts being a thing you have to do every week before you go home on Friday. I mean, it's just like, do you want the weekend? Turn in your homework, check in your builds, hit the push button, see on Monday. It, it becomes part of your work week. And, and I think that that's good internally because if you want good work to be out there and you want to, people to see your best foot forward and you want people to see that you're a, a game company that takes solid builds and good gameplay seriously, make sure your best work is ready to go Friday at 5, like a real job, as opposed to previously where, 
we got to get this in. we got to make it polished. It's got to look good and feel good because all everybody's eyes are on us and, and we have to make it shine. Oh, it's alpha. Yeah. Put out the crap. Put it out in its state, whatever state it's in, broken or not. Let us look at it and judge you in the harsh light of reality. But it shows you guys are working and making progress. I, I think this is the right thing to do. And the complete and utter lack of cause celebre and, uh, you know, weird people coming out of the woodwork. I mean, that is, to my knowledge, completely disappeared. Yeah, that's that's um, without wanting to invoke anything. That has been quiet no. for a while. Yeah. Because um, it's kind yeah. of hard to gin up rage if the, the other side goes, well, we just checked in a new build last week and people can see our progress and we got these guys reporting on sound design. It's really hard to make the case that you're doing a bad job if you're showing project progress and management and timely delivery of regular updates. I'm also wondering if the other side of it is that Chris might have finally let go, just because you mentioned about the amount of polish and so forth, because the 2.1 or 2.0 builds rather if there's words that you could sum it up beautifully with it is buggy as heck and i'm wondering if he's finally let go of the i need to polish everything to the nth degree because by putting out a buggy piece of crap in inverted commas he can see that people are still going for it people are still really enjoying the game and it allows them to concentrate on what building it you know yeah, yeah. I, I heard they were spending hours in the game. I mean, literally, you know, as a persistent thing. Not that I find that there's much to do. I find it buggy enough that it's preventing me from spending a, uh, more than a few minutes in the game. <laughs> but but yeah, that's I, just... I, my experience is much the same, Jeff, I'm sorry to say. But we do a podcast. That's our thing. But there are plenty of people. And I would say I would venture to say there is a large contingent of star citizen fans that enjoy breaking it it's a thing that they like and it has the knock-on effects to everybody else that i know there are people out there enjoying seeing the progress and breaking the game and then reporting that to the devs and watching that be fixed that was the concept of the entire open alpha open development thing is that watch us make something you break it we fix it, you break it again, we break it, you tell us how we broke it. Then, I mean, that whole process was part of the sales pitch, and now that's going. Yeah, one thing that I will say that is annoying with this build, though, and I use that in the loosest of possible terms, every game that I play of um, MMO nature, I don't know why I find it so fun, but my goal in most games is to try and get outside the boundaries of the map. You know, most yeah. MMOs... Uh, um, Typically, they were fantasy-style things. So I would go to, I don't know, the, the mountain that's being used to block off the way between X and Y, and I'd find the exact path of pixels that you can use to just get up the edge and, uh, you know, try and climb your way up over the mountain. Then you get yourself outside the map, you can wander around, you get lost, you come into unknown territory, you see parts of the map that they haven't finished building yet, and I don't know, I just find that really fascinating. Star Citizen, with this latest Persistent Universe build, is just one of those games where I've not really found anywhere to get outside of. When we were Planet Side in Area 18, yeah, I was all over the place outside the map there. But this particular one, and I think it's to do with the encoding to 64-bit and how large the world is, there are just so much distance to cover that I don't think I'm going to be able to find anywhere that I can truly get outside the universe in this case. And so, like, you know, one, thanks for ruining my fun, Chris Roberts, jeez. But two, (laughs) that just goes to prove again that they are competently building each phase as it goes on. So, 
So the CIG leadership is in LA this week because they're picking goals and direction for 2016. Now, normally we have a New Year's predictions episode, but this year we didn't because... Oh, we didn't? Um, yeah. So oh, we, we got to fire right. the guy that forgot to do that. Wow. Yeah, that would, be, that would be us, Tony. Are you sure you... No, I guess we can't do that. Whew, nearly died. Right, okay. So um, I think what we should do, though, is we should have a mini New Year's predictions episode. What do you think will be the direction and goal for 2016? Well, it's your question. You go first. Okay. So I think that 2016 is definitely going to be the year of Squadron 42. I think Star Citizen updates will continue to be minor and incremental like we've been seeing. There will be one major feature for Star Citizen dropping but at the moment, I'm still hedging my bets on whether that's going to be something akin to the economy or whether it's going to be more planet-side interaction so you can actually take off from a planet and go. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to like by the end of the year that they've fleshed out the Crusader map to be as close to a final release as possible and then just build more star systems out from there yeah that's pretty much where i'm going with it. i think we're going to see very little in the way of major features for star citizen but squadron 42 will get all the love and the attention all right jeff what do you think i agree that we'll probably see episode one of of squadron 42 probably around towards the end of the year not uh, not uh, middle of the year or anything like that but towards the end of the year i think that um they will continue to go gangbusters on the ptu environment uh and probably they probably got a year long board up there that says okay this is our target goals for this version this version and this version all the way through the end of the year i don't think it's going to go beyond ptu in 2016 I think they'll focus a lot on ships and more ships and ships on top of more ships because it seems to be their bread and butter and why not populate a universe full of ships? That's my predictions, short and sweet. And I'm going to totally cheat and, and sort of agree with both of you and sort of disagree with both of you. I agree with Lennon that it's going to be the year of Squadron 42, but I think that we're going to get previews of what the mission structure is going to look like in Squadron 42 by what we see released on the Star Citizen side. So I think we're going to see a number of different landing zones that we can transfer between because that would be an important feature of a first-person you know, campaign game that you'd, you'd have to be able to take off from something and land someplace else and then take off from there and land someplace else. So I think we're going to see a, a variety of different environments that we can transfer from on that Crusader map, but only enough to get us to be like the proof of concept and the proof of technology for the first series of Squadron 42 missions, which I, I, I do think we'll see, if not at the end of 2016, very shortly thereafter. I think that they're far enough along tech-wise and art-wise that they can probably knock together a five-episode arc and have it out, you know, in, in a year's time. I also think that the PTU and the, the uh, persistent, quote, persistent universe that we have right now uh, is not going to be persistent this year. It's going to continue to be just the test bed for the technologies needed for Squadron 42. So I, I, I agree with you, Jeff. I think there, there is a whiteboard that has stuff on it, but I think it, most of it's how does this dovetail with the Squadron 42 needs and, and, what, and how are we supporting its development, polish, and release. I think that's what the whiteboard's full of, not necessarily something for Squadron 42 itself. I think the Brain Trust in Austin, or wherever they are now, that's in charge of the Persistent Universe will keep chugging, but I don't think they're going to get any code knocked out or anything that's going to be significant that we're going to see user side this year at all. I think all those resources are for Squadron 42. So there right. we are. All right. Well, solid predictions. We'll revisit these and we'll see just how wrong Tony was. As always. Yep. I'm always wrong. 
Except for when I'm not. That is true, but then you're wrong about being wrong, so it just works. Damn it! Yeah, sorry. I don't make the rules around here. So, <laughs> Elite Dangerous. Uh, this week they had a new dev update out, which focused on the NPC contact type coming in 2.1. Uh, last week, uh, Frontier referred to them as mechanics, but they have now settled on the term engineers. Initially, there will be about 30 of these engineers, each with their own specialty, types of specific weapons or modules for which they will have blueprints. Each will have a relationship with you that might relate to something like your Federal Navy rank, Pilots Federation ratings, or certain local minor factions that you may or may not be affiliated with. While they will be spread throughout the inhabited bubble of the universe, these reclusive characters will only be found in isolated planet-side facilities, so as such it initially seems that they will be only exclusively available to Horizons players, though a Q&A with Edward Lewis suggests that some of the materials needed will be found in space as well. Also in other news related this week, apparently a bogus story made the rounds, alleging that Frontier would be dropping support for the Octopus Rift in favour of the HTC Vive. Ars Technica went ahead and debunked this, quoting David Braben's own Twitter reply saying, This is simply not true, I wish people would check their facts. The confusion seems to have stemmed from the fact that Frontier is focusing on the Vive right now due to its more stable drivers, though efforts to correct the issues have arisen with the Rift since the 0.6 update, and it does indeed continue to function. Finally, in an update to the ongoing story of the mysterious alien barnacles, a community goal has emerged with the objective of studying the meta-alloys that can be obtained from these organic structures. Commanders are tasked with collecting meta-alloys and bringing them to Obsidian Orbital in Maya, and a link to planetary sites where barnacles are confirmed will be found in the show notes. I found the story of the Oculus really, after our, our, our little mock debate last week, to be quite hilarious. I mean, the the <laughs> anticipation and the fervor, I guess that's the best way of, of yeah. the fervor over this is just unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Well, one of our Gar Frequency staff, associates, affiliates, whatever you want to call them, uh, he has an Oculus Rift dev kit and plays Elite Dangerous with it, and he swears by it. He says it's just awesome. It really is very immersive. It's very intuitive. It makes the environment really come alive to, to you flying. And this was three or four months ago when you couldn't get out of your ship and fly around and go around a planet or anything like that. It was just, just the space fighting part. And he was a huge fan. He's in love with it. But... I think it's still early days for people to be picking sides. And I think that's the big takeaway from this whole kerfuffle is that people are expecting this to be a Betamax versus VHS sort of environment. And I don't think anybody is willing to make those kinds of bets at this early stage of the game. No one is going to say, screw that octopus rift. We're not going to support that. We're betting all of our money on, on Valve's product or... It's the Microsoft version of this with the see-through augmented reality, not the wrap around your head, stick to your face, cutting off the rest of the world thing. No one's going to make those kinds of bets at this early stage of the game. So I think it's silly to think that someone's going to have some sort of exclusivity deal with the technology being so early, so young. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I found quite amusing was I've got a big RSS feed uh, watching various news sources for certain keywords, and it was almost like the news agencies were arguing with each other in a Twitter-esque fashion, because I got the first <laughs> one came in, it was like, uh, Elite Dangerous dropped support for Oculus Rift, and then it was a reply saying, no, they haven't dropped support for Oculus Rift, and then another news article comes in saying, they're favouring Vive, it's all going to go wrong for the Oculus Rift, and then like another agency picked up the correct 
version of the facts and it replied saying everybody's saying this about the oculus it's not true and then it was just like building up like really bizarre <laughs> social media conversation being had between these major media outlets then there was a the speculation that facebook was involved i mean like i said the fervor over this thing is just incredible you know, there was some yeah. secret ploy by Mark Zuckerberg or whatever his name is to destroy yeah. Elite. I mean, it was like, oh, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, they Man. do own the Octopus Rift, don't they? Yes, they do. And and I think that's why people are looking to set up a, you know, uh, 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 what was the what was the DVD format? The other D, it was HD it was Blu-ray DVD. and yeah, I mean, the sort of format war. People are looking for the next version of that, and and even if that turns out to be a thing, which that's there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. It's way too early. For for that because there has not been a capable product delivered to a critical mass of random average Joe consumers. I mean, the the guy, the one guy in our crew that has access to the dev kit, he's a gearhead. Okay, I mean, he is he is in deep with computers and stuff. So it is not a consumer product yet, and you've got to have some sort of market critical mass before you can have that kind of format wars, Betamax versus whatever. So it it's way too early for that kind of stuff. But the media wants that fight to happen because then they can write about it and get people to click on it and fill up Lennon's RSS feed. That is true. Just on the news that the engineers will only be found planet side, do you think this is a sensible move by Frontier to, for what we know at the moment, yes. obviously, is to make it Horizons only? Yes. Jerks. Because I haven't bought it yet. <laughs> well, it's not out yet, so you're not technically missing well, anything, right? Uh, well, uh, yes, I, I think it is. Because, because face it, they're a game developer who spent money on you know progressing the game. They, they said right from the start that Elite was going to be the base and that we're going to build on this. And you know if you want the add-ons and stuff, you're just going to have to pony up and, and get the DLC. I, I think they're smart to do it this way. I think they will be... I will elevate my analysis of this decision from smart to genius if what they do is they withhold the Horizon content until they release their version 3 or whatever, you know, whatever it is that comes after Horizons. Let the Horizon content go to the grubby masses who have just the base game, like myself, a year after the paying customers have, have taken a hold of it, and this is the key part, help them get it to a nice, balanced, polished, easily accessible, and easily and well-run system. Your paying customers are enthusiastic. Your paying customers are likely to forgive you for balance mistakes and things like that when it's new. Your paying customers are going to push the envelope for what the system can do. You'll find the cheats and the exploits and the corners, the grubby corners you missed. Then give it out to your casual fans, and that will only make your casual people have a better experience. They'll tell their friends. People who don't have Elite will then buy the new one and pay full price for it and get all the nifty stuff that goes with it. So I'll, I'll elevate their move from smart move to genius if that's how they intend to run it uh, as season follows season. Well, no matter what your thoughts on the platform, the one thing you can say about Kickstarter is that not only has it allowed the creation of some amazing games that otherwise would not be brought to life, but it's also brought another change to the industry with more open development. And one of the children of this Kickstarter generation has just released another patch. Descent Underground has published Build 1644, rolling all the cool stuff from Build 1601 and 1630, and has been thrust onto the Proving Grounds, the name for Descent's current alpha phase. As well as the usual slew of fixes and balance passes, we do have some new shinies to play with. First up is the Shaman, a new healer ship that comes equipped with a repair tool to help restore your ally's health. Best part of all, it's shaped like a flying saucer. Secondly, the Shrapnel Cannon, official name is still pending, has been reworked to have a minor reduction in damage, but a major increase in rate of fire. 
Additionally, we hear that tech trees have been designed for all the ships, along with player progression and the in-game economy. No word on when these hotly anticipated features will land, but you can be sure, as soon as we hear anything, you'll be the first to know. Finally, there are some known issues, the most major being if you customize your controller, you could encounter some strange mapping issues. The matchmaker server still occasionally puts players into matches that are about to end, and if you're on Linux, you can pretty much forget about chatting and using a controller. As always, we're encouraged to play, 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 and report as many bugs as possible via the bug reporting forum. It's such a fun game. It really is. Yeah, the more I play it, the more I really like it, because it's that instant uh, like adrenaline slash dopamine hit of just being able to get in and blow shit up and you're in spaceships and yeah that's kind of like what i at like cqc in in elite you know it's that uh jumping in having a little death match so yeah you don't lo- really lose anything you go against other players and when you're tired you pop out no harm no foul you didn't lose anything you didn't sink into your game wallet at all i mean it really it it just is a great time and it's still an alpha so, and it is still enough. And there really is nothing to lose. You know, it's just, it's just, and you can watch it again. Like the point we made with Star Citizen, you can watch it change, you can watch it adapt, you can watch it grow. And I think that's a lot of the fun of the, as we're pointing out, the Kickstarter generation. You buy an experience which isn't just I play the game. I'm also buying into the experience of watching the game change, and that's that's very satisfying to me. I think it's very satisfying for people playing Elite as you know, Horizons develops, and it's satisfying for Star Citizen fans as the game improves. So I think, it, I think it's a good thing overall. But now it's time for news we didn't use. PC Gamer released a short interview they did with Jillian Anderson after she finished doing mocap for Squadron 42. Forbes asked, could No Man's Sky be the biggest disappointment in 2016? As everyone knows, if you have to ask that question in a headline, the answer is always no. And Evacron Legacy has now launched on Steam. Get this new title while it's fresh. Yeah, so Jillian Anderson... You can tell she's a big star because the, she wiped off the uh, dots first. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill's like he's he's in his craft, man. He's just there. He's like he's into it. You know, fill me with my dots. I don't care. This is how the this is how the sausage gets made. I'm telling you how it is in the theater. No, uh, Jillian Anderson, big, still big star. Head back to the trailer. Get the dots wiped off your face. So last week we had a debate that seemed to be mildly successful, and we here at Guard Frequency not only know a good thing when we see it, but we also know how to milk something until it's dry. So, gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us the very nature of space sims. I will give you each 30 seconds to present your case and then a further 30 seconds to reply. As a result of the coin flip, Tony is up first and Lennon is second. So, Tony, tell me. What makes a space sim? Jeff, a space sim is a game experience, and so it it necessarily is defined by the game element or the type of skill or uh, 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 application that you find yourself in. And so I got to think that the ultimate characteristic of a space sim is the space fighter experience. If you can't put yourself in a cockpit of a World War II type dogfighter, doesn't count. Tony, you ignorant slut. 
Space, like you said, is an experience. It's not just a, a solo thing of whether you can put yourself into a fighter. There's a whole range of things to experience. Everything from technical simulation of what it's like to be in a Lagrange point, to seeing the beautiful vistas of nebulas on the horizons, to landing on the planet side. It is so much more than being strapped in a cockpit with a stick between your legs and just a whole sense of pew-pew. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I my, I went through several formulations of how to respond to stick between your legs and pew pew, and so I just I'm gonna have to walk away from it because I only have 30 seconds. So I'm gonna have to just just give me a minute here. Give me give me a second. Give me a second to uh, do I break sort of Tony. recover, sort of sort of compose myself. Starts off with Tony, you ignorant slut, and then stick between your legs and pew pew. Okay, so can't. <clears throat> okay, now back to the debate, Lennon. But, this is not a National Geographic tour, and it's not, you know, EVE spreadsheets online. The core experience of a simulator is supposed to give you the, the, the visceral feel of, it, of participating in that universe. I can watch Nova, or I can watch Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, on, on PBS anytime I want to, or on, on YouTube. I can't get the feeling of participating in the universe from a fighter cockpit anywhere else. Space sims equals joysticks. Tony, you ignorant slut. Once again, a space sim is not defined by an input method. I can play Galaga with a joystick. It doesn't make Galaga a space sim. What makes a space sim a space sim is simulating space. And yes, I will go as far as to agree that EVE is not particularly a space sim, but for what it's worth, you can control EVE with a joystick. So by your own definition, the game that is not a space sim is a space sim. Mm-hmm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I had like 10 seconds that I wanted to fill up there. <laughs> and the best you can do is... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it? That's all you got? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I think I win. Thank Can't you. Can't even fill up your time. I had to leave amazing... Gentleman sausage. Jokes on the table. <laughs> I had... I had Gentleman sausage. Jokes that I had to cut to get my argument in. And you could... You had... Mm-hmm. Now we're getting into phallic envy here, so... phallic joke envy and that brings us to this week's community question what is your definition of a space sim does it need a hodas or is it more about the technical simulation let us know your thoughts send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show's thread at guardfrequency.com and now that we're all caught up with the latest news let's strap Shiv into the sim pod as he reviews Strike Suit Zero record of bridge you need me I'll be in holodeck Welcome to the Sim Pod. I'm the Shiv, and today we'll be discussing Strike Suit Zero, Director's Cut, and joining me is Elliot, Space Sim aficionado and Taskmaster about Priority One Productions. How are you doing, Elliot? Uh, pretty good. Chasing away cats from my desk at the moment, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, very good. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. And I heard from Lennon you've played an inordinate amount of Space Sims. Do you have a rough estimate as to how many? All of them. Okay. Actually, you could, uh, most of them. The number that I've missed, you can probably count on one hand. And yet, someone managed to point you to one you hadn't played that is eerily relevant to this episode of SimPod, is that right? Oh, the shame! Yes, yes, it's true. Let's look a little bit into the history of the game. It is one of the many children of Kickstarter. Strike Suit Zero is by Born Ready Games and successfully funded with $174,804 
of the 100,000 goal, and they had the goal to bring back the space sim genre with a bang. Seems to be a popular thing to do these days. Set in the future with factional strife, you play as a pilot with a broken memory and are accompanied by another pilot who's on disciplinary duty and trying to get you back up to speed. There's a solid integrated tutorial that will get you flying and blowing up bad guys, all while being a part of the story. Soon, you'll have the star of the game, the Strike Suit, an anime-inspired transforming spaceship that's also a mecha that throws out massive amounts of damage when charged up. Each mission has challenges that, once completed, upgrade your ship. You can also choose which ship to use and a weapons loadout. This lets you replay missions with different options that might not have been available at the time. A good choice if a challenge is difficult with what you had unlocked the first time around. And what's your opinion of the game, Elliot? I gotta say I'm a little torn. I mean, it, it, it uh, fun was had, no doubt about it. I, I absolutely enjoyed it. I do not regret the purchase. But on the other hand, I'm not likely to play it again when I've got things like Star Citizen or Elite at hand. I can definitely uh, see that. I got it from a Humble Bundle, the original version, and I played several missions. But I restarted when I got the Director's Cut. It was a cheap upgrade, which was nice. And the first few missions, at least, were dramatically improved. Before, you really felt like you are playing a tutorial. Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier now, it's just it throws you in the story, you need to get going. The graphics are much improved and there's more missions. And though I did enjoy throwing swarms of missiles around. So if the X series is greatly about trading, Strike Suit Zero is a complete other end of the spectrum. Is it Space Combat Reborn, as their tagline suggests, at least when it was released in 2013 or 14 for the director's cut? Uh, negative Ghost Rider, pattern is full. It is, uh, it is more like a, a Space Arcade Sim Reborn, which is awesome. I'm not dogging that, but it's I don't, I don't feel like it's a space combat game so much. I mean, it's a space arcade game. Yeah, it definitely has that feel. It works well with the joystick. I have a Thrustmaster T-Flight X. Uh, what did you play? Uh, yeah, I struggled a little bit. I tried a couple of different setups, and I found that it works best with either uh, mouse and keyboard or gamepad, although I did wind up playing it with uh, hands-on throttle and stick. Uh, that actually worked just fine. It's just that the game, because it's not a sim game, it doesn't have the same kind of nuanced control setup that you'd expect in a sim game, so uh, Hottest is sort of overkill. But definitely a fun game. It's uh, 20 bucks normal, so 75% on a Steam sale, that's 5 bucks. Definitely worth that, would you oh, say? Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, even in talking about it now, I'm like, well, maybe I should load it up again. Because, you know, every now and then you want to play for 20 minutes or half hour, an hour. You know, not, not a four-hour slog through, you know, the dark coldness of space <laughs> and and it's really really good for that because you can just pop in you know bang out a bunch of things that the the combat effects are gorgeous i mean swarm missiles yes you know giant blue explodey bits yes you know i mean that's all that stuff is just so cool to look at the backgrounds are gorgeous it's it's a lot of fun you know capital f there are a couple things that were less fun about it that i might mention this might be a personal thing but i hate checkpoint saves with a passion especially in a in a game game um which this is this is very much a game not a simulator and the checkpoint save system was just infuriating some of those missions especially a few a few uh scenes in you know th they might take an hour to get through and if you're two-thirds through and you run out of missiles and you get clipped while trying to complete the event then boom you're back at the beginning and after maybe half a dozen times repeating a mission that's usually the point where not only am I done with the mission, but I'm kind of done with the game. Yeah, I definitely had that experience. Uh, 
bit of annoying on some of the missions that were very difficult. And you said you had something else? Yeah, sort of the second thing uh, I found was that the whole, like, the whole premise of the game is about how awesome this strike suit is. And uh, personally, I didn't find it that awesome. Uh, it did feel like they, as soon as I got into it, I was excited to get into it, and I should preface this by saying I'm not an anime fan, and I'm not a mecha fan. I don't hate it, but I've tried to watch it numerous times over my 40 years of nerddom, and it just, you know, I, I get 10 minutes in, and I feel like, well, maybe I'll watch the news now. So even still, there's this mecha suit that I now have access to, and I'm thinking, well, this could be cool. You know, this, this, I'm, I'm ready to try this. This is going to be good. And then it really felt like they just kind of pasted first person shooter mechanics on top of a space sim and you know in space it was more like an EVA game at that point and so I actually wound up completing the bits of the game that I did after that point after that mission back in a normal spaceship which I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they gave me the option to do that but the most important thing is fun and if you had fun then that's time well spent absolutely so, yeah, my, my my fun rating on this one was high. These little niggling complaints, I mean, I wouldn't even mention them if somebody asked me about the game, you know, in, in, in conversation. But uh, since we're thinking about it slightly more critically, those are the couple things that stood out for me. Otherwise, yeah, fun ratio, very high. Good time, worth the money. And I agree. That's all for the SimPod this week. So these are the simulants signing out. Next up, let's tune into the feedback loop and hear what you have to say. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say he buys high and sells low, and he always grocery shops while hungry. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Last week's community question, virtual reality, the next greatest thing in gaming, or just as gimmicky as it was in the 80s? You had thoughts. And Benny writes in to say, I've got an Octopus Rift pre-order, so I'm definitely a fan. I've tried the development kit too, and the experience I had with it was really good. No, it wasn't the same as strapping into a Cessna 172, but it was way better than any sim I've ever done, and that includes the Soarin' Rider Epcot. It's also far easier on the pocketbook. It's not the holodeck, nor the Matrix, but it's a really good start, so when you have the chance, give it a try. And no, Google Cardboard doesn't count. Dr. Argon writes in to say, So I wrote a nice long piece last week with my mailing address and witty thoughts on politics, mini jump points, and even Hitler, but somehow the guard frequency contact us form must have ate it. I was disappointed today when my name got called out for a second time, even though it's always cool to get a personal shout out from Tony and Jeff. As from the community question, I see current virtual reality on par with cell phones from the late 80s. No longer one-off production models, VR has the beginnings of actual product lines and the accompanying infrastructure of B2B companies and technology. Like cell phones, VR is just starting to take off with niche hobbyists and specific user groups. If the analogy holds true, then by 2020 there'll be enough market momentum and product development for growth to be asymptotic with new equipment versions released every 18 months. By the mid-2020s, VR and augmented reality will be widespread in specific fields such as medicine and engineering. Five years after that, it'll be as much a part of our lives as the supercomputers we carry with us, so we're never more than 30 seconds away from watching a cat video. Ostron writes in and says, I think VR has enough development and tech around it now that it won't be a burnout fad, but I also don't think it will become a mainstay of future gaming. Even assuming that the current price tag for the OR is inflated, I can't see these headsets dropping below two to $300. And you guys mentioned that you needed a pretty beefy PC to process the software. That alone will put a lot of people out of the running even leaving aside the fact that you have to pretty much have two well-functioning eyes and a good inner ear tolerance to use the equipment at all. I think VR is going to become a niche peripheral. 
sort of the way high-end HOTUSes and racing sim add-ons are now. There will be certain games and genres where VR will give you a better experience, and I think some smaller devs may try to put out VR-dedicated games, but I don't think larger corporations are going to buy in. The larger corporations have bought in. One of the biggest ones, you know, Facebook is all in on VR. So I think VR is going to be big in, in some areas, but I don't think that... I don't even think they've found where it's going to be the biggest yet. I mean, it, it may turn out to be that it's a Skype application where VR is the best thing. I'm going to go visit Grandma and never leave my house. I'm going to strap on my VR headset. Grandma's going to have a 360 high-def camera sitting on top of her kitchen table, and I'm going to sit across from her and have lunch. I mean, that may be where VR really, really comes in. They're going to, as usual, test it on people like us with the high-end PCs and the addiction to computer games that we spend lots of money on, and then get it right with, with our types, and then then really, rather than buying a monitor, you know, your new computer's going to come with a VR headset. If, oh, you want a monitor? Okay, that'll be an extra hundred bucks, but you know, we'll send it to you with the, with the headset. Well, I agree with you, but unfortunately, some big companies are taking the bet on this, and, the, and one of them is building a space sim specifically for it, and I think they're going to shoot themselves in the foot or it's not going to go or be received well, and I was really hoping it would. Is that Valkyrie? Yeah, Val- E-Valkyrie. CCP is putting out E-Valkyrie for, for uh, VR only, and I just don't think uh, we'll see a market saturation enough for them to continue to update and develop that game. That's what I'm worried about because it looks really good and it's in the Eve universe. So, but they're taking a bet, right? I mean, that's what they're doing. They're, I don't, I don't know that. I, you know, I'm not privy to their internal numbers or anything, but I sincerely doubt that the Eve player base is growing exponentially these days. I don't see that happening. The gaming market's pretty fragmented. So they're taking a bet that we can access a different part of the market that Eve players that we have now don't overlap with. You know, it's a different population of gamer, I think, with Eve Valkyrie. And they're, 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 it's a bet. They're making a bet. Maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But, the, you know, they're taking a chance on it. And I also like the idea that uh, Argon's uh, feedback also harkens back to the discussion we were having about Betamax and stuff like that. There is a certain rhythm to these things. And, you ha- and like cell phone manufacturers and, and, and video players, they've got to get out to the people first, like cell phones did. Right now, it's, it's, it's Android and it's iPhone and, to some extent, Windows Phone. You know, it's basically boiled down to those three types of phone that you can get. Ten years ago, you could get a handset you know, from Nokia, from Motorola, from, from and it was just everybody had their own little way of doing it, their own little operating system and their own little way of, of setting it up. So that rhythm for cell phones has passed, and, and maybe we're going to, we'll probably see that again for VR too. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I want to sort of draw people's attention to. The first one is that I wouldn't be surprised if what actually happens, and this is going with the root of Eve Valkyrie being exclusively VR, Nintendo brought out the Nintendo 3DS. And whilst it was, you know, it was great in that it provided literally an extra dimension for you to play in, what ended up happening is they then released a 2DS afterwards and sort of gave the 3DS the option to turn the 3D off, which a lot of hardcore gamers have actually done because the 3D just wasn't implemented in a good enough fashion for them to be able to use it continually. And I think that's currently where we're at with VR. And I think you're going to see a similar sort of thing. They'll bring out Eve Valkyrie VR only. I think it will be 
shown that it doesn't have the polish on the VR level that they were hoping for, and eventually they'll release it as a PC uh, regular flat monitor 2D experience. I wouldn't be too surprised to see it go that way. I, I don't know, Lennon. CCP is kind of weird. Look at that PlayStation-only game they brought out that was tied into uh, EVE that was um, ground-based. Uh, Dust 5 Dust, right, yeah. yeah. And yet they haven't brought it to the PC or other platforms yet. So I don't know. I, I You know, those Norwegians or Scandinavians or whatever they are, they, they have a weird sense of what uh, what is market viability. Yeah, I mean, you, you do make a fair point in that they're stuck on Iceland, which is tiny and full of ice, so they may not be the best judges <laughs> of character. They've got to be stubborn to survive there. It, precisely. So that may be, uh... But I, I think the difference here is that the PS3 market as, as a whole was potentially a lot bigger. I think the VR market is going to be way smaller at this stage, and so in order to get any return on the product at all they'll need to expand that out um the second thing that i wanted to bring up is that there are like tony was saying it hasn't hit its killer application yet and there are always 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 two main drivers of technology the first one is entertainment and gaming and the second one is pornography and i i'm honestly not saying this is an excuse but maybe if we research the porn industry to see what they're doing with vr that would actually give us a much better insight along with the video gaming combining the two viewpoints there was a column yes there was a column and i don't remember where i saw it but there was a, a column in a mainstream sort of news website a guy went to one of the conventions recently and one of the porn companies had a booth there yeah there we and go. he said that while he watched the demo he had to take off the headset to wipe the sweat out of the headset it was like <laughs> he, he said it, it was kind of groundbreaking if i could use that term because it was so Lennon, you're spot on i mean the home video thing that was the porn industry yeah. that was that was their killer app the home video was and there's a lot of there's still a lot of stuff about VR that we don't know yet. We don't know how many people are going to be affected or what kind of new symptoms are going to be arising. It's it's kind of like the epileptic warnings you get on video games when you when you log in. I mean, yeah, this will not be a Nintendo Wii experience where you stand up in the middle of your living room and and dance to the hits of the '80s with a VR headset strapped on. You better be sitting down when you when you use this. But you know. If we're, if we're taking cues from the porn industry, you probably will be sitting down or lying down. We, you know, you know, choose. You know, your comfort is one of the design goals, I'm sure. So what we're effectively saying is that VR probably going to be okay-ish in the short term, as long as it comes with a warning that says something along the lines of extensive use of this product may cause seizures, and if your erection lasts for more than four hours, consult a physician. <laughs> 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 yes, yes, it's going to combine the video game warnings with the Viagra warnings, and and the the lawyers will be effectively locked out of any product liability suits. Yes, that's that perfect. Yes, and a general feedback we hear from T James. Thanks for posting. First time listening and enjoying the banter and varied content. Yay! Welcome to the show. And Sean Newboy says, "Oh my lord, I loved the Mister Roberts neighborhood. That was so accurate. Wonderful show, everyone." Man, I feel sorry for your Thanksgivings if that's an <laughs> No, I, I was kind of thinking. <laughs> that, I do not want to go to your family gatherings, boy. Oh man, is that tinfoil for the turkey? No, we're making hats. Oh, <laughs> no new Patreon subscribers this week, but the winners of a brand new patch are Nathan Bradford. And this is Spectrum personality Carrie Kerrigan with a special announcement. We've got a super prize for everyone who's made it all the way to the end of the show. 
Paul Watson has generously given us some codes to unlock a little crew for the theater of your mind. Guard Frequency is kicking in a free copy of Voice Attack to bring those characters to life. All you have to do to be eligible to win this fabulous prize is favorite and retweet our tweets. We'll draw two names each week for three weeks. Winners will receive the voices of Astra, Dark, and Leo, who is voiced by Norman Lovett, who you may know as Holly from Red Dwarf. Finally, the ship's cat will join you. And don't forget, a free copy of Voice Attack will be provided to you to power them all up. Be sure to follow at GuardFreak on Twitter and watch for a tweet from us mentioning at VoicePacks. Thanks for listening. And a reminder of this week's community question, what's your definition of a space sim? Does it need a HOTUS or is it more about the technical simulation? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread over at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show? Did we simulate it perfectly or did it feel a little arcadey? Either way, let us know. Here's some ways you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on our show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, you can always shoot an email to Squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 104 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 105 on February 2nd, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email at squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, guardfrequency.com, clicking on the Patreon logo and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25 US, you can get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all of our Patreons who supported us with their subscription week on week and hope you will consider making a regular contribution because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Well, we're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call signs section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMOs, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Trollton Edwards, our staff writer, Jeff Grant, and our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Squawk seven seven zero zero. Stay on the guard. I was talking to one of our listeners. Oops. Uh, I, that's okay. I was talking to one of our listeners. God, stop Damn that. It, Cortana. God, what is... <laughs> Shut up, Cortana. Jeez.
No, it's it's my it's my background um, mail uh, thing anyway on my remote system. It's Jeff having technical difficulties. What's our new? Uh, oh yeah, sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. Okay. Well, it's not. Com- it's theoretical. It's not completely fake. Well, okay. It's I've theoretical there, in okay. the sense that. <laughs> 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 it's like pro wrestling. It's real for me, damn it. I didn't want to drag it on too long. I just wanted to give it some meat. That's no, it. it's eight minutes. It's perfect. It's a, it's a perfect length. Well, so. now it's eight minutes and ten. Shut up. <sighs> now you made it eight minutes and twelve. It's your fault. It's all you, Clock Nazi. It's all you. PC Gamer released a short video interview they did with Gillian. Ugh, I was going to. I think it's Jillian. Yeah, it is Jillian. I, I, I believe me. I had her poster when I was a uh, young man. <laughs> oh, Jeff knows. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I was, uh, I was, I was. What I was trying to do was build up celebrity and just say, oh, Ken, shout out. Yeah, he's a friend of ours. You know. Oh, what Chris Roberts? Yeah, no, you know, he came around last Tuesday and helped me wash the cat or something. That that's actually that's the mark of true friendship. Washing a cat. It is because that is a terrible <laughs> chore. Yep. <laughs> that. That's a, that's marked with true friend. Yeah, it was. Uh, it is kind of nice. Lennon was awfully quiet at that at that statement. Lennon was a uh, uh, he downed a mug of coffee and he's trying not to like throw up live on air. That's what's going on here right now. <laughs> <laughs> if the analogy holds true by 2020, there'll be enough market momentum and product development for growth to be a- asymptotic. <laughs> I was said asymptomatic. Well, it could be. It could be. The growth could be asymptomatic, but I bet we'll see symptoms. People will have the raccoon face. Uh, goggle head thing going Octopus on. Oh, you've face. been doing VR, haven't you? Yeah. Let me try that again. Ink all over the nose. Yes. Yeah, just cut the part we talk about the segue that we don't need. There we go. And in general feedback, we hear from. Damn it. <laughs> go. I don't need a go, Tony. I'm ready to go. I don't. Jeff needs the go, Jeff. Lennon sort of like wanders around Jeff. in I his know. mind. Oh, that's an L. What does L mean? After what is the four minutes uh, or four episodes of, of this show, I know when to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. The, uh, all the blooper reels of me saying "Go, Jeff" would argue otherwise. Okay, all right. Here we go. <clears throat> shh, shh. Go, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Cowabunga.